This episode is brought to you by ThinkNear. Their location score platform delivers the most accurate location targeting available on mobile. Visit them at locationscore.com. And by Pollen. Access your app store revenues faster and fund user acquisition straight away. To sign up, go to pollen.vc. Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Rob Woodbridge and Asif Khan. It is time for This Week in Location-Based Marketing. This is episode number 229. We're recording this live on Apple Watch Day, also known as April 10th, 2015. My name is Rob Woodbridge from Untether.tv, located in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And with me, as usual... 229 consecutive weeks looking at this mug from Toronto, Ontario. There you go. It is Asif Khan of the Location-Based Marketing Association in Toronto. It's really actually getting quite nice. The weather's like turned around. It's, you know, it's it's going to be sunny. It's going to be a nice warm weekend, relatively speaking, for April. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, you probably see this. This has been all say, week. See, you wait till the spring to grow a beard? No, well, my kid, my kid, like, so because I'm not traveling, right? My kid said, you're here for a whole week, you know, let it, let it grow and see what happens. And so it's growing, it's coming off tomorrow because I have to go to a wedding. Um, but uh, for a week, this is what you get in a week. You know, it's, it's okay. Oh, I see. Yeah. Let it grow. Let it grow. Uh, no, no, no. Don't, don't nope. start me on the frozen stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I can't stand that stuff. I had a beard once. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I look at pictures. I'm like, hey, it covers most of my face. I'm much more handsome when half of my face is covered. Yeah. True story, true story. But I got ridiculed for it. Um, yeah. And, and my yeah. brother, my brother has the identity with a beard. But um, so listen, man. Let me let me know. Did you you uh, you ordered your uh, your little Apple Watch uh, doohickey dingle this morning? I did. Unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, I actually completely forgot to put it in the calendar. Uh, and then so you know, I uh, I was working this morning, and then I realized people were talking about you know Apple Watch, and I'm like, oh crap, I got to get out there and order. So by the time I ordered, it was like ten something this morning, and now I'm not getting my Apple Watch till like the first week of June. So uh, I did I did what everybody uh, else did, I think, in the world, which was get up at three in the morning Eastern time, uh, midnight Pacific time. I set my alarm, basically just rolled out of bed, ran downstairs, reloaded the page a bunch of times, and and then it came up. But it was like three oh three by that time. It was like four to six weeks for delivery. Like you know, at least the site didn't go down, and and everything was was um, was very seamless. It was an easy acquisition. It was a really really good experience. Um, and then I, I was like sitting here later on in the afternoon. I'm like, did I did I dream that or did I order it? <laughs> did you actually do it? Yeah. So I had to check to make sure. And in fact, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I it's, actually, anyhow. Yeah. So it's it's done, and uh, you know we'll, we'll get it when we get it, as we'll they see. say. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it you know I was I was impressed, and I think that I, it's going to uh, shatter expectations. Uh, around uh, around the globe about how many of these things that they sold. I'm very interested to see how many they sold. And, uh, you know, the, the feedback, The Verge, if you haven't done this, The Verge did this amazing day in the life of an Apple Watch expose. Uh, you know, they got an advanced copy and, and it's actually very well done. It gives you a great perspective of the good things and the bad things about the watch. And I'd strongly recommend you go to theverge.com and take a look at that because it is actually very unbiased, um, and, you know, because I've worn this for nine or ten months now. I love these things. I will never live without one. Um, not like a Robert Scoble in the Google Glass. But uh, this has provided tremendous value to me. And uh, this gives a very balanced, very, 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 very balanced approach to uh, to the Apple Watch. So TheVerge.com, they did a great there job. There you go. 
All right. So, big show. Uh, but before we get into our 10 stories, Asif, what uh, what the heck is going on with the Location-Based Marketing Association? Bunch of stuff. Uh, so, starting next week, April the 16th, uh, there's an event in San Francisco uh, that uh, we're doing in partnership with a group called Beacon Week and um, and Wearable World. Um, so, it's basically, as the name implies, it's it's focused on beacons and, and wearables and, and how those things are coming together. What do they uh, do? Beacon what and wearable who? Beacon Week, yeah, and wearable world. Uh, <laughs> so these these guys are getting together. We're uh, supporting it with our San Francisco chapter, and uh, so that's April the sixteenth at the Palace of Fine Arts is the uh, the venue for that. Um, and then the uh, the following uh, week on the twenty third, the Chicago chapter uh, is uh, hosting an event. Um, so that's uh, another interesting one that you want to take a look at. Details uh, for both of those are available on the. Um, LBMA website on the events page. There's a lot of other events there. We've got events coming up in Australia. We have a new chapter launching in Hong Kong. Um, there's a New York uh, chapter event coming. So there's there's plenty of stuff happening. Um, and, uh, you know, go check it out. Ah, yes. I don't believe that I will see you in all of May, as we were discussing. That is probably correct. Yes, we will not probably be in the same area ever in that period of time. No. 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 Well, I'm trying to coerce Asif to coming into Ottawa. So look for that mid-June. If you're an Ottawa guy or gal and you want to see Asif Khan speak, maybe Ottawa, mid-June. Could happen. Could happen, as long as it's not past June 25th, because then everybody goes away for the summer. That's right. School is out. All righty. So we've got uh, 10 good stories, 10 great stories, I would say, uh, that is going to uh, really showcase some of the innovation that's going on in the location-based and contextual-based marketing world. We also have a great guest. This is this is good. This happened. I got called out a couple of episodes ago. Uh, I went kind of on a tirade about uh, this company called One Visage or One Visage and the selfie um, uh, validation. Basically, they have a uh, um, facial recognition software that is uh, that they call they call it Selfie. And yep. I had a uh, hard time with that, very hard time with that. And I challenged them. I said, come on on the show, defend yourself. And guess what? Ah, they actually called me out on it. And uh, so Christophe Remiet, who is the CTO of One Visage, is our guest today. And he puts awesome. me in, in my place. And uh, I'll tell you one thing is that we spent 20 minutes together. And I'm not going to show you the full thing on this episode. Come back to the show notes. This is episode number 229. Go to untether.tv or go to the lbma.com. And in part of the show notes, there will be a link to the actual full, full, full 20 minutes unedited conversation I had with Christoph. And we get into it a little bit, uh, not like in a sparring way, but he talks about some of the potential of this technology um, and basically the 3D um, uh, facial recognition software. And it's actually, I mean, I don't like the name Selfie. But uh, what he's talking about is, uh, you know, the way he talks about it and the way that we discuss the different levels of uh, requirements for security and for authentication. Um, it really makes a lot of sense. So, mea culpa. We'll, we'll see. I look forward to, uh, to hearing that interview. So, so uh, yeah, it, it was good. He's, he's our guest. And, of course, we've got our, uh, we're going to see if we can get two big stories in, depending on what the time is like. But we've definitely got one story. And, and I'll give you a little bit of a, of a hint here. It's about simulated interactive product sampling and i know what you're thinking it is not porn it has nothing to do with porn although it could no. and maybe that'll take a different conversation different tack. yeah mm. all right so all we right. got 10 stories this eve shall we begin let's do it your turn buddy not so fast before we get to those stories we need to get paid so here is a message from our sponsor this episode is brought to you in part by think near 
Here's Lauren Hilberg, president and GM of Think Near by Telnav, to remind us what they do. Think Near is a location-based advertising network. We provide our clients and customers a great opportunity to get their advertising directly to the individuals who are most likely to act on it. Part of the beauty of what Think Near does is to help use location to find your audience and then put the right message in front of them at the right time, at the right place. I know what you're asking, will this work for me? Brett Cohn, VP of Marketing at Think Near, has that covered. Every mobile campaign has the ability to leverage location to do a better job of reaching your audience. Think Near worked with a large CPG company that has a health-focused cereal brand to help pinpoint their audience by city and then by neighborhood. Brett again on how that was set up. People who might be visiting Tahoe to ski and some of our ads in the, in the Northern California area. Southern California, we talked about um, King Can King's Canyon and other outdoor uh, adventure areas near that locality. And what you start to see is you're hitting a, a specific neighborhood that fits your audience. You're contextualizing the ad creative to make it more relevant to the user. And you start to see higher click rates as well as higher secondary action rates because the ad's more relevant in hitting their audience. Think Near, keeping you fit one ad at a time. And now, back to the show. All right, so All right. we got 10 stories to see. Shall we begin? Let's do it. Your turn, buddy. All right, we start this week with our good friends over at XAD. Love these guys. Uh, great member company. And uh, they announced a, an interesting product this week. It's called Blueprints. It's trademarked, uh, the name Blueprints. Um, and basically what they're trying to do is th there's a problem in our industry, and that is the accuracy of location data. Um you know, and 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 being able to target, you know, to the to the right level that we want to target. And so, what what they've done is 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 they developed a system using the physical boundaries of a business instead of its 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 address, its latitude and longitude. They're looking at the actual physical boundaries of this. Uh, it could be an outline or a blueprint of the outside of the physical store uh, instead of the street address. And and so, um, you know, when you rely only on street address, sometimes you, you know, when you're trying to find a place, it can it can be, you know feet off uh, from where it's supposed to be. It can be, you know, half a block away from where it's supposed to be in some cases um, because, you know, the, the data isn't that accurate. But, you know, when we actually look at the physical uh, layout and structure of a building and we use that as the basis for determining location, we can get very, very accurate. And so that's kind of what we're trying to, uh, what the blueprints, uh, XAD blueprint system is trying to, uh, to solve uh, is give media buyers and, and marketers better accuracy around location targeting and location data. And this is a big issue. It's a, it's a problem. Uh, I'm going to quote a stat here uh, from, um, from the press release that came out. Uh, and it says that 70% uh, of, uh, of place creation and updates um, you know, are, can, can be automated uh, with this system now. Um, and, and in the U.S., 130,000 new address listings and changes are processed by the U.S. Postal Service each day. 130,000 changes to address information processed each day by the U.S. Postal Service. So you see the need for having the accuracy of this, uh, of this kind of data and to have it be based on something other than address information. You know, does that mean that uh, once this is figured out, the postal, post office goes out of business? Because what else are they doing now? <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're doing selfies. They're doing selfies. <laughs> ah, <laughs> cut it out, Asif. 
Yeah, that's a that's a big announcement. Uh, good for Exad. Yeah. It's good for Exad. So there's a uh, you know just as a follow on to that, there's a uh, an infographic that that uh, that they released along with this uh, this announcement of blueprints that will be available on the LBMA site under the research tab. Wow. You click there, you, you can see the uh, the infographic uh, with a bunch of other uh, of da uh, data points there. So there you go. Exad announces blueprints. Blueprints. Well done. All right, our next story involves, a, well, there's a couple of stories here around location-based services in the healthcare industry. One I, I like, kind of. The other one I kind of don't like. It's not really innovative. So I'll let you decide which one I like and which one I don't like. How's okay. that? It's a test. The first story is about this company called MedNav. If you go to meddav.md, I love the, um, the domain suffix there. Uh, mednav.md it's a location based mobile health app that allows you basically to do what Uber does for cabs which is to find out uh, information about local wait times verified reviews and uh, book appointments with local healthcare providers you do it through an app it's really, uh, you, you know, no more complicated than that. You are in a spot, you need some uh, something health-related, and you need an appointment somewhere, and that's what it does. So it allows you to do that from a user standpoint. From a provider standpoint, it allows you to, you know, eliminate this, you know, the empty appointments, which is which is killer, especially up in here in Canada. You know, you don't want any idle doctors sitting around because there's always such a long wait later on. You know that. If you've ever done this where you've been put on the wait list for cancellations, you know that that instead of waiting six weeks to get in to see your doctor and you, you always go on the cancellation list and you, you break other appointments so that you can do this. And this actually helps kind of propagate those empty appointments. So that I really, really like. It also allows you to push out information to your existing users because it's an app-based thing. You can actually say, like, I don't know, like two-for-one specials on T3 Mobile because we just went through it or something to that extent, you know, from dentists and doctors. I'm not really sure what else you would do there, but it allows you to market and advertise directly to them. And, it, you know, you can you can also get reviewed and rated by by staff or by, uh, by patients. You can review and rate the doctors or whoever it is the practitioners are. So it's very much like Uber, but for the healthcare industry. I, I kind of like this. I like this because I think that it, it does mm -hmm. solve a problem. Steve, don't you think that that solves a problem? Completely agree. I mean, it, it, any any of these services that are about matching up, you know, buyers and sellers, uh, you know, from a data point of view, um, tied to location and and, and uh, you know proximity. I think regardless of the industry, these things are valuable. Whether it's you know Airbnb or Airbytes, we talked about the other day, or in this case, medical data. We have another one coming up uh, later in the show, um, you know, or in the music industry that yes. you'll, you'll be talking about as well. So yeah. yeah. And, but I think that this is this is something that has long legs. I do not think that that music industry one has as legs at all. There's a reason why there's no competition in that space because guess what? It's it's not a real business. But yep. well, uh, that's a preview. But the other story is around this company called AwarePoint, which I simply don't get. And it's not because I'm dumb, but maybe it is. But uh, you know, this is this is uh, basically uh, a glorified version. They talk about this is about uh, Bluetooth. How do they classify this? Bluetooth for, for health workers. And, and it's it's basically like RFID was, where you put an RFID tag on some equipment and it allows you to track that equipment, but they're just saying, listen, it's Bluetooth and, and RFID. But it's the language, man. It is the language that they use with this. It says nothing about what they do. And I, I'm, I'm lazy. And now I'm frustrated because I'm no longer going to give a damn about this company simply because the language that they use is, is, is crazy. Because it's... Listen to this. I'm just going to read this. Our BLE technology does data transfer over Wi-Fi. Data transfer over Wi-Fi? Well, no shit. That's what Wi-Fi is, right? And is 100% battery powered to deliver unsurpassed location accuracy and responsiveness with low installation and maintenance costs. Doesn't tell me anything. This uniquely flexible infrastructure supports an expanding array of use cases, including those in outdoor areas. 
Great. BLE technology offers the ability to location enable the increasingly mobile centric healthcare ecosystem. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> By harnessing the power of the mobile devices in the hands of patients, visitors, clinicians, and other hospital staff, AwarePoint systems can help a healthcare system enhance patient experience, reduce costs, and improve outcomes. I could go on and on and on, but what they talk about is increased equipment utilization, tracking equipment, reducing rentals, preventing equipment loss while simultaneously enhancing patient safety, patient flow, temperature monitoring, <laughs> compliance and workflow and business processes. Oh my God. Like uh, basically yeah. uh, all they did was throw like jargon up there and, and it does everything for everybody in the healthcare industry. Oh, it, it, it's insane. Even, it, even, you know, I was reading the, in the, the press release, you, you missed the other buzzword they threw in there, which is. It's an integral part of the Internet of Things. IoT, exactly. Well, I skipped right over that. Yeah, I yeah, saw yeah. That and I said, so I mean, they've got it all in there, man. It's it, it's great. It I is. Love it. Uh, so uh, aware slash r r t l s, which is real time location technology. Horse shit. This is snake oil. My God. And if I see another one, another company use this. Uh, then I, I don't. I, I'm at a loss for these guys. So I've given them too much airtime already. This is just snake oil. This is garbage. <laughs> They're trying to test the marketplace. This isn't even an idea. This is a, an everything for everybody with, and we'll throw in every word we can about everything. Terrible. Terrible. Don't go to that site. I'm not even gonna say it again. All there right. On to a happier story. Please. Our good friends at Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. and specifically Coke Zero, uh, has launched uh, something very, very interesting. It's being described as uh, the world's first drinkable advertising, uh, creating a fun way to shell out free products to unsuspecting customers. Uh, this is in partnership with Shazam and uh, their agency, uh, Ogilvy and & Mather. Uh, and it started with the NCAA uh, Final Four, the Men's Final Four, uh, where they launched a 26 by 36 foot uh, drinkable billboard. Um, first of its kind, never been done before. A giant billboard with a, uh, a swirling huge straw that comes out of it, spelling the world's words, taste it. The thing weighed 23,000 pounds uh, and it magically appears to pour ice cold Coke Zero out of it into six drinking fountains that anyone can walk up to and sample. So now we're taking out of home advertising and we're actually making it functional where you can actually get product from it so it's not just an ad anymore it's actually the product is the ad um you know w- what would marshall McLuhan say about that um <laughs> <laughs> my mouth is watering that's what he would say yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it's uh it's pretty interesting you know what what, what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna uh, sorry it just popped in my head and i have to go there so i happen to know uh his grandson because marshall McLuhan's from from here i happen to uh, meet his grandson at a conference a little while ago and 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 his son uh, as well, and uh, they're both uh, they both teach advertising and are involved in, in the industry. So I'm going to get his grandson to come on here one day and talk <laughs> about how he thinks about uh, advertising and contrast it with his uh, with his grandfather's views. So, but just to finish the story, one of the things I really like about this is that uh, it's a full integrated media thing. So it's not just the out of home piece. Yes. They tied this to television. Obviously, you know, if you're watching the NCAA tournament on television um, and commercials were coming on for Coke uh, Zero, you saw the Shazam uh, logo there. You could Shazam these things. Uh, it was synced up in, in real time with that. And uh, what would happen is, is you know, the, the app would, you know, capture the audio signal coming from the TV commercial. Uh, it would create this mobile call to action. And then it would offer you a coupon. And what would happen, on, it, it would actually sync with the TV commercial. So... You know, as the Coke is being poured on the TV screen, 
it's actually filling up on your mobile screen. The, the glass is filling up on your mobile screen. And then when it completes, it, it uh, basically turns into a, a mobile coupon for a, a free 20-ounce bottle of, uh, of Coke. That's crazy good. So I love that kind of stuff. Very well uh, done. And, uh, you know, good on them for, uh, for putting this together. Coke. And that's part of our big story, which is what we were saying, quite literally, the, this, this whole concept of the simulated interactive product sampling. Yeah. But I don't know how they get the taste from the TV screen into my mouth. Not yet, eh? We're not there yet? Not yet. Can't, can't do it yet. No Star Trek replicator? Yeah. There's, there's, there's no uh, Willy Wonka uh, making stuff like I that. I just want to pull a lever. I say, you know, yeah. Earl Grey, tea, hot. Yeah. All right. That's a cool story. Coke Zero. All right, our next story. This is uh, this is an interesting one uh, that has a lot to do with an older technology uh, called RFID. This is the second time. Two stories in, I'm talking about RFID twice. Uh, but this is a, a company called uh, Spoda, um, and uh, they, they worked with their agency slash pilot um, in uh, in Finland uh, in Helsinki to develop a system known as the physical cookie, which is quite literally uh, RFID tags uh, around um, 15 retailers within a mall, and it's triggered by an actual key. And they've issued these 14,000 VIP keys that are distributed to mall goers that you basically, you know, literally they're like fobs, they're long fobs, and they are strategically handed out to uh, 14,000 people and then basically people keep them with them and they walk through the mall and all that data is, is actually captured. And what they're looking for predominantly is dwell time because there's no screen on these fobs it's not reliant on any kind of smartphone or anything like that they're looking at dwell time to see to understand patterns and flow and maybe if you're standing inside of a store or you're in front of a window for quite some time that's an indication that maybe you should be sent something of value to get you to come into the store and uh and this is a really fascinating way of of kind of dumbing down the technology to the most important thing which is the data the, the traffic flow and understanding yeah. how many people go through in and out and how long people wait outside of a store before they come in how long the dwell time is before they make a purchase and then what can influence people's decision making as soon as they uh you realize that they're sitting there or standing there so instead of asif bombarding people with bluetooth notifications or beacon notifications saying bye 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 it's passively sitting in the background as people and collecting data and then making the assertion reaching out when they when they have uh, conclusive data that there's interest to uh you know some kind of incentive that needs to be put in place in order to be able to buy this is yeah it's interesting you know, one of the things i like about this is because it's not tied to the phone and because it's a it's a device that you know they issue you and you put it on your keychain or whatever as you're walking around it really you know from a privacy point of view there can't be any objections to this thing, no. right? Because it's you know you're choosing to put this thing on your on your on your on your keychain, knowing that you know you're contributing to the to the analytics and to the data, yeah. uh, because you're not getting anything out of it. At least you know at, at the first time that they yeah, track you. I mean, they may use it down the road to understand you and and be able to to send you stuff, but. You know, I love I, I love that that it's uh, you know it's not it's not intrusive um, in the way that you know some of the beacon stuff is. Yeah, and it's fu it's funny because you know predominantly like what what will happen is that say you're standing in front of a screen and it's and it's followed you through the many times you've been through the mall. It could customize a display like a you know a mm -hmm. screen for you based on your preferences. Yeah. So that's why they call it this the physical cookie side of it. And uh, but really, this is a data collection. It's all about data collection for the malls to understand patterns and and uh, and behaviors of of their consumers. And you know. So your data, I keep we keep coming back to this, is that 
I'm okay with this. This is cool, and you sign up, and you carry this thing around. You know full well. But God damn it, folks, your data is worth money. It is yeah. worth money. So I, I don't understand how we can say, okay, let's take this thing, and I'll do it voluntarily, and you can track my whereabouts and give me nothing. Nothing. Except for maybe customize some, some, uh, some advertising for me on screens. But the data that the malls get is in freaking valuable because you know that they're going to find these little nooks and crannies of people spend where people congregate a lot of time and they're going to increase the rent in those spots because there's more traffic flow, right? This is so your data is worth something. So I love this. I think it's very cool from the mall standpoint. I love that they're doing this. It's old school technology, batteries, you know, uh, RFID is, is, is proven, it's cheaper. But the challenge I have with it is your data is worth something. And we can never over overshadow the fact right. that your data is worth something. And now you're just giving it away again. People! Crazy. Mm. All right. That's all my story. That's all I got. <laughs> Enough of that. All right. Our fifth story. Uh, this is another great uh, one because it's a, it's a mashup of two of our uh, of our members. This time, Freckle IoT, which is a Toronto-based uh, company, and Blue Byte. Um, that uh, we, you know, both of these companies we've talked about before, but they've gotten together and uh, they made a pr rather significant announcement in the industry, which is uh, that they're launching North America's largest proximity network for advertisers, based on sixty thousand beacons that they're deploying across the U.S. Um, and so, what you have here is a mashup between Freckle IoT, which is a a beacon uh, management ecosystem, basically a you know a data management cloud-based uh, system for managing you know beacons and, and the content that gets delivered uh, on them, to Bluebyte, which is one of the the big players in in the mobile uh, activation of out of home, uh, and so I like this uh, kind of stuff because it's exactly what we you know what we try to do at the LBMA, which is is tie tie media types together. And so I, I like when this stuff comes together and, and, and companies like this are, work, are working with each other. So I think you're going to see, you know, very, you know, lots of other partnerships like this in the industry, you know, that kind of, you know, come on, on the back of this. And we're going to be talking about another one later on in the show uh, here. But, you know, so basically Freckle IoT partners with Blue Byte uh, to announce a 60,000 uh, uh, beacon uh, network, which is crazy. It's big. It's, it's big. big. It's big. We like Mikhail. Mikhail Damiani was the... Uh, we do. Yeah. And Neil. All right. Our next story. Uh, you know, Patagonia. This was a store. I used to work at a Patagonia store in the Byward Market here. And really? I, yeah. You know, I always thought, these guys are still around. And they're still around. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, the quality of their stuff is, is unbelievable. It like is. I, I, I did own a couple pieces. I haven't bought anything from Patagonia in a long, long time. Well, it was always used to like the cinchillas, right? The, uh, the, the sweaters that we had just all over the place. And, and yeah. Uh, uh, well, and they do last a long time. And, and to prove that, they've got, I, I don't know if this is the first time they've done this, but they have basically started this, the Worn Wear Mobile Tour. All right. So this is literally, a, this started in April 2nd. So it's, we're a couple of weeks into it right now. Started in Ventura, California. And what they're doing is they've taken this kind of beat up pickup truck and refurbished the beat up pickup truck. And they put this entire sewing facility that is on the back of it. You'll see the pictures if you're watching this. But if not, you can just basically do a search for uh, 
what is it? Patagonia's pickup truck tours country on a peril mending mission. And what basically what they've done is they've refurbished this this uh, this pickup truck. They've created it's a '91 Dodge Cummins fueled with biodiesel, and they're trying to show that listen, you, you, the clothes that you have don't toss them because they're ripped or destroyed or they've got holes in them. L fix them so that we don't have to fill uh, all this you know the world with uh, with discarded material. My brother got them for me as a gift. Goodwill in Nantucket or something like that back on the East Coast. I mean, they were go-to for everything, surfing, just going to the beach, kayaking, a lot of memories associated with them, and hold on to them. So the back of the truck, the camper shell, where they've got this industrial uh, sewing machine to help fix your clothes, and that's what the tour is about, is is uh, constructed from salvaged wine barrels, and it gets all its power from solar panels. So they're making a huge statement here about they don't want you to throw away your old clothes, but they also want to make sure that they're making a, a, a big impact on this. So literally, they, there's these stops across the United States, they're driving across the United States, you bring your clothes with holes, rips, tears, the need mending, and they'll fix them for you there. And this is their big statement around, you know, it's made to last. And it doesn't have to be Patagonia stuff. And predominantly it won't be because the quality is so high. So if you have anything that you need that needs fixed, you can go and stop by and they'll fix it for you while you wait. And I, I, I love this idea. This is a really great, put your money where your mouth is. Um, and, and they do this, this can't be the first time they've done it, uh, but it is amazing to, to see these guys. And uh, I, I think that the, the, the concept is great, and I think it fits very well in line with their brand, Patagonia. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Well done. Yeah, kudos. Be great. I'll, I'll reach out to uh, to them. See, it'd be great to get them over to Retail Loco to talk about this stuff uh, in the fall. So, well, I yeah. think you start like from a brand building uh, capacity. Right? Instead of going out there and selling your stuff, you know, here, just bring your stuff in. We'll fix it for you. Like that is yeah. really. Uh, I just I, I love it. I love and, it. So it's the Worn Wear Tour for Patagonia, and it started on April 2nd, and uh, they are going everywhere. I have a list here somewhere where they are going to be in, let me just see how many stops they're going to be. So, tons. Lots of in California, but they're going to be, they're going right until uh, middle of May, and they're going to finish it up their, their tour in Boston. So they're going from, uh, their first stop is leaving San Francisco, and they're finishing in Boston. Pretty cool. Awesome. Great stuff. Yeah. Very good stuff. And you, oh wait, I'll give you the address there. It's patagonia.com forward slash worn wear. Patagonia.com forward slash worn wear. Okay. Done. All right. Our seventh story. Another, yet another partnership between uh, two of our members getting together. In this case, it's Shopper Track uh, and Shopkick. Um, we, this is very, very interesting to me because Shopper Track is a company that's been around for a long time in the space. Uh, retailers have been using these guys for years uh, as a indoor location analytics company. And historically, their analytics, you know, this, the same stuff we just talked about in the malls, but their analytics have been based on, on cameras. So, that, you know, they, they put cameras in uh, into these stores, you know, that you can obviously use for security and other things. But using camera data, we're tracking or counting, if you will, um, you know, the number of people that are that are moving through and the patterns and the dwell time and all that stuff. And then in the last little while, um, you know, um, they went out and they bought a company a couple of years ago out of Finland, actually, uh, called Rapid Blue, uh, which is a, a company that was in the sort of uh, Wi-Fi and beacon space to sort of augment what they were doing with cameras, which made a lot of sense to me. Um, and so they put this together and I guess, you know, I'm a little bit, 
I'm happy about this this partnership because I think it makes sense. But I'm a little bit surprised that you know they had to go do this. Um, you know because they you know with the rapid blue stuff, you know one would think they have their own their own beacon solution already uh, that they acquired. So my my only guess is is that this is 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 all about access to you know more retailers. Uh, you know, coming up against competition, uh, there's a lot of players in the industry, um, and you know, instead of fighting each other, why not work with each other? You're not you're not really competitors in this necessarily in this space. You're all you're all fighting for the same customer, and if you know if 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 say a retailer is already a shopper track customer from the sort of old style analytics, but also wants beacons now. You know they're not going to throw necessarily the, the the old stuff out just to put in new stuff. So why not combine those things together? And I think that's what I see as the partnership here between ShopperTrack and Shopkick. The other thing Shopkick brings to the table, obviously, is they have their own app. They have a consumer-facing app with um, you know I don't know how many million people uh, are on it these days, <coughs> but they have they have an app and and they also have beacons deployed in a number of stores. They have Macy's. Uh, they have about 8,000 beacons, I understand, deployed in Macy's and American Eagle. Um, you might remember we talked about these guys a little while ago when they were uh, acquired by uh, SK uh, South Korea Telecom. And, um, and uh, you know, where all that sits. But I think this is a good deal. I think it's an interesting partnership uh, between two, two of the big players in the space coming together. And I think we're going to see more of this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, we're we're uh, you know you know the market is maturing and people are are starting to realize, hey, there's a lot of players, there's a lot of new entrants, and us guys who've been around a little while should team up and uh, and start helping each other instead of uh, you know all fighting each other. This is like cooperation, right? Yeah, yeah, cooperation. I like play. it. Yeah, Shopper Track and Shopkick. All right, our next story involves another kind 10 of ten million. By the way, ten million people have the Shopkick app. Ten million people have the Shopkick app. Yeah. Yeah. Shopkick app. Say that again. Say that ten times fast. Shopkick app. Mm-hmm. It'll come out something like I just butchered it. Well, our our next story. Not maybe not ten million people will use this. I don't know if anybody will use this at all. It's one of these things that uh, we t- alluded to it before. It's called Studio Time. You go to StudioTime.io, and this is literally uh, getting. They call themselves the Airbnb of booking music studios. Uh, so you can understand what it exactly what it means is that say you're a musician you get spontaneously you got that desire to record yourself you need a stadium or a studio to do it or a stadium to play I suppose and that brings me to an idea that I had and I'll explain that in a second but the the idea is that if you need studio time you log onto this website at studiotime.io and you, you look you have to be in New York or and or, or Los Angeles at this point and you find a studio that has vacancies during the time that you want to to use it sounds great in fact the founder of the company uh, said listen you know what this is cool because when we talked about it his, you know Mike Williams is his name he said when we asked anybody nobody has ever heard of this and we're all surprised that this doesn't exist and there is no competition and I think that the reality of this is that there's no competition to see for a reason because it's not viable like you know how often is it that I need to be in a studio it's not something that I'm going to use every day or every month or every year it just like so that's what i think about it is that i'm not sure how the revenue model will work with this i tried to log on i looked at some studios this isn't something that's recurring enough for it to be viable in my opinion and and i think that the reason i i think that is that i thought of an idea called gigan 
right? G-I-G.in. And the whole idea was to match studio performers or performers with gigs in their city. So say I am a great saxophone player, which I am not, uh, or a great musician or a great guitar player, which I am not, but I'm in a city and I wanted to maybe jump on stage with somebody, or I am a band and, you know, my drummer calls in sick and I need somebody to come and play to, to sub in. I was That's what gigging was going to be, right? It's, it's But again, when I went out to the marketplace, they said, listen, you know, it doesn't happen very, it doesn't happen enough to monetize. And if even if it did monetize, we're not really sure how you would actually collect on it. It's the same thing here. Is that this is a this is a cool idea, but just because you can do it, it doesn't mean that it will work. And being in a studio isn't something that I do on a daily or weekly basis. It might be three consecutive days for a, in once a year, but that's not a business. That doesn't build a business. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. What I'd rather see is you know somebody you know, and and I'm thinking immediately of Hard Rock Hotels or or somebody like that. You know, basically create a studio in a hotel that you know you could you, you know you you can book a, a you know a staycation kind of thing where like you go in with your band cool. and you spend a you know two weeks staying at this hotel and and you've got studio time right um you know something like that to me is you know much more appealing than than this and and i think you could you could build like you know a niche a niche business around that if you're you know if you're in the hotel industry or something like that but tied to something yes yeah 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 i i, I that's why it struck me is that the reason that there are no competitors is because there is no business here. And that's always the frightening thing. And it's entrepreneurship and business 101. If there are no competitors and there's nobody encroaching on this market, you are not the only one to have thought of the idea, quite frankly. It's because, guess what? It doesn't exist. You're not augmenting somebody else's service. You're not doing them a favor. You're not doing anything, right? Yeah. Um, it's not like Uber. Uber didn't exist, but the cab companies and the black car companies did, and it's an efficiency play. And this, and Airbnb, you know what? That's a, a groundbreaking uh, company simply because what they did was they, they opened up your bedroom to somebody to rent, and, and the infrastructure was already there. They just built thing, a layer on top of it, and this, mm. this really doesn't do it. It's unfortunate, but that's why there are no competitors is that there's no business. Prove there me freaking wrong. Prove me wrong. How's that? Prove me wrong. And I would say that if you're listening to this, Mike Williams, come, come talk on to us. and defend it. Come talk to us. Um, all right, cool. Um, our next story, our ninth story. This is um, following in the lines of our Coke story. This is Carlsberg now uh, launching something called uh, the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the best poster in the world. <laughs> Uh, or no, actually, it's called probably the best poster in the world. Great. Uh, to be clear, so this is a uh, a poster that dispenses free beer. Uh, who doesn't want that? So it's located on the side of the old Truman Brewery in London Shoreditch uh, district, uh, and on the poster it reads, "Probably the best poster in the world." Passerbys are able to help themselves to a free cold half pint of the Danish lager. Uh, on April the 8th, this, so this just happened a couple days ago from 1 to 7 p.m. So basically they got people just coming in doing product sampling out of off a billboard on the side of the brewery. So effectively they punched a wall on the side of the brewery, stuck a billboard on, on it with, a, with a tap and said, you know, pour yourself a beer. Um, <laughs> what can I say? Um, hey, product sampling at its finest. Jesus. I'm in. Yeah. How come a Canadian company didn't think of that? I don't know. You'd think that would be a Molson thing, no? God, you'd think that we don't have, like, Canadians have beer. On, you know, we have three taps. Hot water, cold water, and beer. Exactly. That's it. That's it. So we already have it coming to the house. 
Canadians yeah. are great. Oh, Canada. <laughs> no, I like that. Uh, so, I like that so anyways, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk more about that. But Carlsberg launches the free beer billboard, uh, known as the probably the best poster in the world. Absolutely, ever. the best poster in the so whole there you go. universe. Okay, our last story is Seif Delta kills animals. Delta Airlines kills animals. I don't know if you know this or not, but Delta of all the airlines on the planet. Delta kills the most animals that are in transportation. So if you're taking little pooch with you on your vacation or you're moving them across the country or you're shipping them anywhere to Timbuktu, they kill your animals. And I'm not joking. That of the greatest, they have the greatest number of animal incidents and we're personally responsible for 41 of the 97 deaths reported in 2013. Like, are you crazy? They kill all animals. Now they say it's because they transport more of them, but... If, you, if they're killing almost 50% of all the animals that are killed on transportation, then there is a problem and they may have a solution. I'm not sure if this is a good solution or not, but I would say the number one solution, don't send your pet with Delta. But what they're trying to address here now is, and this is where this location comes in, is that they're, uh, they want to fix a GPS onto your animal in transportation. Now, this is $50 per flight. It's available in 10 U.S. airports across the country. It's available in Atlanta, Cincinnati, Detroit, L.A., Memphis, Tennessee, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Seattle, Salt Lake City, and Tampa. And what it does is, it, it as I said, it's a GPS chip that is attached to your animal, and it will tell you a bunch of things. It allows you to track the journey in real time. So where is your animal, which is great. Like I suppose you can find out where it died, right? Because that's what Delta does. It kills your animals. But, or it can actually monitor the temperature of where your animal is. And it can actually monitor whether or not the crate or the thing that your animal is in is right side up or sideways or upside down or, uh, you know, but what it doesn't tell you is if your animal is dead, which 50% of all deaths, if I said before, actually come from Deltas uh, carrying your animal. So uh, it's a first of a kind technology and it was developed by Sendum Wireless Corp. And, and as I said, it's $50 per flight, but it doesn't tell you if they, you can action on it. So it's one thing to know where your animal is. It's another thing to know that if it's upside down, it's another thing to know that if it's frozen, but it's the, the big thing is like, who can you send a message to to go and fix or right side up your animal delta still kills animals I, you know this is probably something that may assuage people's minds with their animals they can track it but my goodness they still kill them i don't know what to say delta kills animals and i think i found the title for our for our show delta kills animals it doesn't give me peace of mind to know that my my animal is upside down flying yeah minus yeah i'm not sure somebody's going to start crawling down into the baggage uh <laughs> section you know to go uh there's a bigger problem here folks you know, pull the dog out because it's getting too cold or... you do not need you do not need a gps yeah you know you don't you need you need better baggage handling and more care around the animals because as i said 41 of the 97 animal deaths delta delta kills your animals there you go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say anything more about that one. So. <laughs> Just, Delta kills animals. You go, want yeah. an animal dead? My, my sister has an 18-year-old cat that pees everywhere. Pees in basements, on stuff. Like it's, it's like it's blind, it's deaf. 18, but we take it to the vet and it's still living. It's, still, it's like in great shape aside from all that stuff. And uh, I'm like, I should send it on Delta. That's what I'm yeah. going to do. I'm going to send it on a trip in Delta because Delta kills animals. All right, our top We're 10 stories. 
Yeah, we're in All trouble. Right. Oh, is, dear. This is well, our last show. All right. Delta will sue us. So that's it. That's 10 stories. Those are 10 stories. If we missed yours, look what we do to them. We just butcher them all the time. At least I do. Asif does a very professional job. I destroy Every companies. Every once in a while, I ran. It's true. Not, not as often. And when you do, I just sit back and listen. And I think, my God, you're good at it. You should do it more often. Um, but if you your story, if you want your story there, just reach out Robin on tether.tv or Asif at the LBMA.com. And one of the guys that did that, Asif, one of the very guys that did that, when I went off on his company, One Visage, uh, a, a couple of uh, weeks ago, they're a Swiss-based company. They, you know, and I named him my name. I said, Christophe Remiet, if you are out there, reach out to me, prove me I'm wrong. And guess what he did? He reached out to me. And this is the result of that. And now I'm only going to show you about six or seven minutes of this episode or this interview. Uh, conversation that we had. The rest is going to be where you found this podcast, either uh, on the LBMA's website, lbma.com, or on tether.tv. This is episode 229. You can find the entire conversation, which is worthwhile if you're interested in in this area to go and, and watch. But here, very quickly, is a little bit of Christoph Remiet, the CTO of One Visage. Time for our special guest this week uh, is actually a, uh, I'm excited about this because a couple of weeks ago from this very episode, I talked about a company, a Swiss-based company called One Visage. And uh, in particular, I, I called them out about, uh, you know, not only the name of the product, but the product itself. It's the self selfie authentication company. And uh, I said in that episode that I would probably never use a product that was called the Selfie Authentication Company. Um, and I talked about other biometric or ways for security and authentication, even your thumbprint or your uh, retinal scan. And uh, lo and behold, I said, listen, if you are out there and you want to come on the show, please reach out and let us know and we will have you on the show. And lo and behold, Christophe Remiet, who is the CTO of One Visage, actually reached out to me and said, hey, Rob, you are so freaking wrong about us and about the company and about authentication, the way that it's going to happen. And in fact, I want to come on and tell you how wrong you are. So here he is live from his office in Switzerland. Christoph, thank you for doing this. I love when people reach out when we've said something either that's wrong or that you disagree with. And clearly you guys are passionate about this. And so welcome, man. Welcome to the show. So thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we, we really love to, to get this open discussion with you. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, for those who don't remember, you know, that episode or what we talked about, um, why don't you quickly describe what you guys do? Yeah, OK. I believe this is very important. So um, yeah, one visage. So our goal is to, in fact, address um, two main questions um, and which are, well, first one is all about uh, identity fraud, right? And second one uh, about transaction, I would say, abandonment. Uh, I just would like to uh, to put uh, well two figures here. Uh, first, since 2005, there are more than a half uh, billion of uh, uh, say identity fraud victims, right? And second one is, in average, uh, despite I would say the industry effort to to improve, um, I mean, uh, security solutions with uh, two-step authentication or uh, security tokens, what we are seeing is, in average, there are uh, more than thirty percent of transaction abandonments nowadays. We talk. You originally opened up by saying a, a cart abandonment or payment abandonment, right? Which is huge. It's a huge issue. It was like that on the web. It's like that on mobile. Um, but you know, the other side of it is that there's a brand, and, and I think this was my point when we when I talked about it with Asif was that there's a, a brand recognition, right? So when I buy from Apple, 
It's it's um, you know my cart abandonment rate mm-hmm. is very low because it's I have a brand affinity with that product or with that brand, right? So, uh, but then for a, a product that maybe I don't know or a company that I don't know that um, I'm just doing some research, there's a natural abandonment rate. So, and I maybe I'm willing to pay with my thumb for Apple, but maybe I'm not willing to pay with my thumb for something else. Is that what we're going to get into at some point as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for. for we don't we don't want to position um, one visage in the or we don't want to come with a business to consumer model clearly right. yeah. um, so it means that uh, we'll establish a strategic partnership with partnership sorry with um, say banks card issuers right. um, payment service providers integrators I mean large ones um, and as you said before uh, because for us it's it's really all about say uh, the level of confidence uh, that you that the end user has uh, in, in using such technology. So at the end, if it is branded, say uh, in few years by Visa or Mastercard, definitively say the level of confidence and trust won't be the same like if it is one visage, right? So um, this is what we are trying to achieve, and for the moment we are really focusing on establishing those uh, initial strategic partnership with uh, say. Uh, key financial services players. And that, as I said, Christoph Remiet, the CTO of OneVisage. Go to OneVisage.com. Go and find at this episode 229. Go to Untether.tv and um, look it up and just watch the end of that uh, that entire conversation. Uh, you will you'll start to feel a little bit more comfortable with it, what, what they're doing around uh, around 3D facial recognition for payments and uh, validation and and identification. It, it's an interesting space, and just to add one little element to that, um, uh, not not a whole new story, but just to say that uh, Apple just last week was granted a patent for uh, facial recognition to unlock uh, to unlock a mobile device, so as authentication for your for your phone, yeah. which is interesting. So that it, it, you know, it's telling you that this you know this is being seen as as a way to uh, you know engage with your device and and as as an authentication mechanism. Um, you know when Apple obviously is 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 using this as a uh, you know as a method as well and going after patents in this well, space, Apple so. did it yeah, yeah. That, well, he should have just, said, have just said that but it, Jack Ma Jack did it Ma as well Ma. there was a good demonstration of Jack Ma doing it with yeah. Alibaba that we covered on the same show and and you know he's doing the same thing so there's uh, th- there's work there and and the 3D model as you talk you know as you listen to Christoph talk about it, is that you, you literally you can't just hold up a photo of me and and access it so the 3d you have to move it around or move your head around enough to be able to show that it's 3d it's not just flat so christoph i appreciate you coming on here now i would love it if anybody else that we have you know if you got the courage you got the nuts got the balls like christoph had to come up and and defend his idea uh, we are always open to that you know that uh we will open up we'll i'll spend all the time in the world with you um if you if you want to come on and do it so uh please we appreciate that and uh thanks christoph for doing that Cool. All right. So uh, very quickly, Asif, our last piece of business here is to talk about this whole concept of the simulated interactive product sampling. Uh, you know, simulated is the big key here because as you were describing the Coke Zero, I haven't had a Coke in 10 years, but I think about like the way that commercial played out and the pouring of the Coke. That's the, the it's so iconic, right? You, for some reason, it's like Pavlov, my dog, my dog, my mouth waters. My dog is dead because of Delta. My mouth waters because of Coke. Right, and the same thing with the Carlsberg, uh, the free beer billboard. What 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 happens here? Because companies need to uh, need to approach it the same way that these two uh, behemoths are doing when it comes to interactivity. This is this is something that every company can do, 
but they're not. And I don't, don't understand. I don't understand why. Yeah. Not. Well, I mean, it, it, it comes to, you know, the core of how we think about location at the LBM made for me, which is this idea of blending media together and understanding yes. we need to look at our media plans. We need to look at, you know, how we've allocated our ad dollars and then, you know, use location as a mechanism to, f to find out, you know, who's in proximity to that spend, right? So, you know, we've got a billboard out there or, or we're spending money on billboards. Well, how many people are near these billboards? How do we engage them with the billboard where they're walking by a screen to the, to the Sponda story? You know, how do we use that RFID data to, to, to make a connection, um, to the content that's on that screen. And so, you know, when it comes to, you know, FMCG, you know, type products like this, you know, consumable, consumable products like Coke or Carlsberg or, you know, you know, even a hard good, um, you know, I, I, th I think that we need to find ways to leverage the, you know, that the ad spend that we have on billboard or wherever, um, you know, that's, what's important. It, it's about understanding the proximity of the ad to the proximity of the individual. And how we how we start to connect uh, you know those two things together. This is not a new idea, right? I mean, if we go back a few years, you know, one one of our members up in Germany, uh, this this uh, dog food company called Granada Pet, you might remember, guys, yeah, yeah, covered these guys way back when, um, and so they created a a, a billboard, um, you know, but uh, it was dog food that they were trying to promote, and so what they did was is you would actually see this billboard and the billboard on the on the on the signage it would tell you to check in on Foursquare to the billboard and then they built this little black box in the back that would monitor these check-ins and so every time somebody checked into the billboard it would send a signal back to their servers and then the server would send a signal back to the billboard and b built into the billboard was this uh, dispenser of dog food and so the dog could actually walk right up to the billboard and sample the dog food so good. And and then the, the the owner could see whether the dog liked this food or not, and you know it was a great way to get them exposed to that. So, you know, it, you know this is we need more of this kind but of. But what stuff. happened to that? Like, so that was three, four years ago, right? When we yeah. when those kind of things came out, and and I, well, I agree. This Spotta thing uh, is is interesting, right? When it comes to uh, you know RFID tags and tracking people and all that kind of stuff. But but it's it's still the same garbage out, right? Which is let's just change a screen. And screens to me are, are like banner ads. I ignore them completely yeah. quite often. And and so and I don't know if it's for me or not. Like I don't think that the average consumer is educated enough to know that that they're targeting me. We always talk right. about the Minority Report type of screens, but but they're not saying, "Hey, Rob, this is for you." It's just it, it can get lost in the fray. But they should, right? And and you right. know, and even if it's a if it's a digital asset like a screen, like you should still be able to just like in the Coke uh, TV commercial piece, like. You see the thing pouring on the screen. It's pouring on your phone. Right. And when it fills up, you have an offer to go to a store near you and get a free bottle of Coke. Yeah, but that's I mean, the difference, though, is that the that interactivity sense, is right? two ways. So they're not just broadcasting it to no. you. There's a no, piece no. that you have it, to it do. It requires you to act, yeah. right, on, on, on the other side. And I think in these malls and anywhere where these screens are, there, there needs to be a way to have immediate you know, gratification, immediate yeah. engagement. With, you know, with the product and the consumer. Yeah. So another good example, you know, is you might remember the um, the project uh, that we did like I don't know three more than three years ago, now, probably three years ago, in McDo with McDonald's in in Sweden in the in the main public square in the Stora Plan in in Stockholm, and then we had the giant digital screen on the on the side of the building in the in the public square, and uh, basically on the screen it was directing you to go to this URL, and then using HTML5's location capabilities. You know, we would basically connect two phones of people standing in the square, and those phones became game controllers, where you're you're playing a game of, of pong on a screen in front of everybody, 
uh, in this public square where your phone your phones are the controllers for this game. And if you won, if you lasted, I think, 30 seconds or something like that, and you won, immediately right on your phone, it, it sends you a coupon for like free ice cream or whatever it is from McDonald's, and it tells you that the McDonald's is just around the corner over here. And so walk over there and go get your free ice cream. Right, so it, it's you know you, you're engaged with the content on the screen. You're personally in, involved in it. In this case, you're playing a game. Your phone is the controller, and then you're rewarded, or you get to sample the product, if you will, you know, just around the corner. Yes, uh, it, that makes a lot of sense. And, but I think that like we've seen these great examples of see floating around, like the great uh, Molson Canadian ones, where you used a Canadian yep. passport yep. to open up the fridge to get beer for everybody, right? Like th th there's this. I think we, we always start, and then there was uh, just recently, like almost like I just saw about it yesterday, was uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, ch full size chocolate statue done by uh, you know to promote uh, chocolate, and and what do they call it? the Benedict Choco Batch, where people yeah. could walk up and start eating. Benedict Cumberbatch because he's made out of chocolate. It's a big statue. Um, but so I, I always think that we're starting down this path, which is a great path, which is exactly like the Molson Canadian commercial with, um, with the with the fridges. But but then for some reason we go back to the things that we know, the simpler ones. And and yeah. I, I keep waiting for those times where where uh, I, I don't know I'm going to be able to you know through my TV I pour the coke and then somehow it's magically delivered at my door by drones at the very moment that I pour the coke because I, that that interactivity piece is what's missing. I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's just that we've forgotten how to be innovative. But that th that yeah. one. Where where the where the uh, the pet food was dispensed by a check-in, to me like that just seemed like a no freaking brainer. Everybody yeah, was, should be doing probably, that, and yeah. that was done as we said almost four years ago. That was done. Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is just I, I I'm stumped on this because I always think that when we, we're about to get it right where where we see these great innovative things happening and then and then we kind of recoil and go back to screen reliance and screens are great but I ignore them man. I ignore them. But yeah. if somebody, like, if I did something and a chocolate bar fell from the sky, I'd be like, holy shit, that is amazing. Yeah. Disney characters. Remember we did we covered this, that thing with the Disney characters yeah, in the that mall. that was awesome. Same thing. That was awesome. That yeah. kind of stuff. You remember relaxed. that company? We covered this company, um, Jaffel Shoots. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did the sandwiches. Was, they so, dropped I mean, the sandwiches. As yeah. weird as, the, as that was. So good. Right? Like, people were engaged with it, right? Because So, this was uh, grilled cheese sandwiches in Australia. Uh, and you could order these things online, and then like they tell you the secret location, and there's like an X on the spot, and you go there, and your grilled cheese sandwich comes delivered to you by a parachute <laughs> dropping down. It was ridiculous, but it was so cool. I love it. Yeah, well, I, you know that because what are the things that happen in hockey games, right? The interactive piece of hockey games—they used to do that. They used to drop like, I mean, yeah. we have Subway uh, being you know shot out of an air cannon, right? And and those kinds of things are great brand, contextual brand, relevant, like all of that stuff. Yeah. Physical. I get. I get to handle something physical, and I think that that's the frustrating part here. Is that yep. we get lazy with digital. Just because we can send it to your mobile device or we can send it to a screen does not mean that it's going to leave a lasting impression on the consumer because it goes by in a flash and then it's forgotten. And I think that the examples that we've we've shown here are the ones that resonate four years after the fact. As even I, yeah. there's not another one. We just need a wearable edible banana, and we're good. That's right. <laughs> that tracks your marathon. But remember, yeah. Gowalla did that, right, with uh, VaynerMedia yeah. early yeah. on in the days around the New Jersey Nets, right, around giving out tickets. If you checked into locations, yes. you got tickets. that were They were virtual tickets that were redeemable for real tickets to games. Whatever happened to that stuff, man? Like, yeah. I, th that's, that's the stuff that leaves an impression, and uh, I don't see much of that floating around. That's my All right, opinion. well, we got to get on it. Boom.
Anybody has good examples of that stuff? We'd always love to hear. We'll feature that stuff here because we love that stuff because it's innovative and not a lot of people are doing it, right? Big video games in the middle of screens, in the middle of, you know, you know the red square. That kind of stuff is really cool and, uh, and should be celebrated. Screens, meh, not so much. We'd love that's thoughts. It. All right, episode 229, nailed, screamed at, been broken down, beat up, raised to the, up to the grafters and broken down again. We'd love to hear your feedback on this show and many others, any others, please reach out. Rob at untethered.tv or Seif at the LBMA.com. We will take your feedback into consideration and probably discard it right away, but we'll take it into consideration. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, if you have any comments, reach out to us. And if you have a story that you'd like to be a part of this, please reach out to us. If you have an app that you'd like us to feature, please reach out to us. Do us a favor by helping you, helping us illuminate our audience through this way. And of course, if you want to sponsor this damn thing, we are accepting sponsorships for this podcast. It reaches 18 people. 19, because my deaf brother listens to it now. As he falls asleep. He swears he does. Asif, are we going to be doing this from Toronto next week? Uh, we will. Sweet. Three weeks in a row. Yeah. Number 230. Episode 230 next week. Thank you guys for sticking around this late in this episode. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time for This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Con. Out. Oh.